Welcome to CAA Live, the Council of American Ambassadors Foreign Affairs podcast. My name is Keisha King, and I'm the Council's Communications Manager. This episode features a presentation on technology and the UN with Mr. Amir Dossal at the Council's Potpourri of Diplomacy Conference on November 7, 2018. This session was moderated by CAA Executive Director Kathleen Sheehan. Enjoy! It is my great pleasure to introduce our next speaker, who is Mr. Amir Dossal. And I have to thank Kimberly Breslauer from Oppenheimer for introducing us to, um, uh, to Amir and uh, welcoming him as a speaker today. So Amir is the uh, founder and co-founder co and president of the Global Partnership Forum. And his other co-founder is his wife, Toss, who is also here with us today. When I asked Amir how I should um, identify his wife, he said, well, she's my boss. And I said, this is a very wise man. <laughs> so um, the Global Partnership Forum is a nonprofit organization, and its mission is to help um, leaders and change makers and policymakers um, learn about and get access to the type of technology, new technology, that can help them um, in economic and social development projects. Um, and before um, Amir uh, founded this organization, he had a very long and distinguished career, career at the UN, um, more than 25 years, and he held many, many senior positions. Uh, one that uh, is of particular interest, I think, is that he was the executive director of the UN Office for Partnerships. And in that position, he was responsible for helping to manage um, um, the, the distribution and the funding of the $1 billion gift that Ted Turner gave to the UN, which we all remember. So that was a really overwhelming undertaking, and he did that in his position. Um, he's an accomplished diplomat. He understands a lot about the world and about social and economic needs. He's also very astute about technology. And so what he's here today to talk to us about is sort of give us an overview of how the UN is using technology to help bring about social and economic change and achieve the sustainable development goals of the UN. And I think this is particularly interesting for those of us who were yesterday at the board meeting where um, John Soltfuss uh, from Oppenheimer was talking to us about markets and he was telling us how technology is driving the market. And today we're gonna hear about how technology is also being used to help um, do sustainable development goals. So with that, I welcome Amir to the stage. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. And thank you, Kathleen, for the kind introduction. <laughs> Ambassador Shorba, uh, thank you so much for including us in this very important dialogue. Uh, the Council of American Ambassadors is a, a truly important institution where we can talk about international diplomacy, uh, as well as economic and social issues, as well as technology-related items. And like you, Kathleen, I just want to acknowledge uh, our good friend and colleague, Kimberly Breslauer, for connecting us to the council. So today, I, uh, and first of all, my apologies for uh, the delay in getting here uh, on Fifth Avenue, uh, about 10 blocks north of here. There was a lot of activity, as you can imagine. Uh, as post-election celebration or commiseration, as somebody might call it. Um, <laughs> and I want to share with you how the UN is focused on addressing 
what we call the Sustainable Development Goals and how technology can and often does play a part in this. So um, in 2015, 193 member states of the United Nations got together and signed up on what is called the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, which, by the way, uh, a number of you might have come across in the days of the Millennium Development Goals, OECD targets, etc. And for the first time ever, uh, governments got together and decided to put them in that framework of sustainable development. 17 goals were adopted with 169 targets. And when you think of it, these are very ambitious goals. UNCTAD, for example, uh, the UN Conference on Trade and Development, calculated that in order to achieve these targets by 2030, it's 15 years from 2015, the international community would need to inject something like 2.5 trillion, trillion dollars a year. And that's where Oppenheimer does come in as well, it plays a critical role. And it's quite clear that this 2.5 trillion can only be attracted, uh, marshaled, channeled, channeled towards these goals, is if there is a value proposition. There's a value proposition of, quote, what's in it for me? Why should I invest in the underserved? Why should I invest in the underprivileged around the world? What's in it for us? Uh, because companies have a bottom line oriented approach, and rightly so. Uh, their goal is, or their commitment is to the shareholders, to the stakeholders. And, it, and if you look at the other side of the coin, which the UN generally deals with, is um, ODA, which is Overseas Development Assistance. That runs at about 150 to 180 billion a year, which, as you can imagine, is woefully inadequate. So, how do you address these gaps? Now, I'm sure you've come across what we call the SDGs. How many of you know about the SDGs? Quite a few. So this is, these are the 17 goals. And the 17th goal is threaded together through partnerships. And, and at the end of the day, while ODA is good, ODA can be very good in terms of doing pilot initiatives, incubation, etc. But the real money will come from Wall Street, where the private sector can invest in these goals and, and get a rate of return. So it's really uh, what is commonly known as ESG focus. Uh, and we see it as an economic and social rate of return. And our goal is, and I say, uh, is to mobilize business and mobilize also the technology sector. When we were planning this uh, presentation, we talked about how new technologies can play a role, what we call frontier technologies. And I'd like to focus a little bit on blockchain technologies. Uh, we often hear about blockchain uh, and link it to cryptocurrency, for example. And blockchain, by the way, is the underlying technology for bitcoins. It started off that way. Today, blockchain plays a key role 
in creating more efficiency, transparency. Uh, Kathleen mentioned uh, about technologies being used in the financial sector. Indeed, what is commonly known as fintech, where banks, commercial and wholesale banks, merchant banks, uh, are starting to use blockchain to get greater efficiency in their transactions. For example, funds transfers. In the olden days, you would go to the bank, you'd fill up a form, you'd say, I want to transfer $10,000 to my account in London, or I want to make a payment to somebody in uh, Malaysia or wherever, or uh, Nairobi. The bank would check if you've got the funds in there, you'd sign, then they'll say, okay, it'll be done tomorrow because you came in after 1 p.m. or whatever. Uh, or it'll be handled after the bank's close. Then it goes to a central clearinghouse. From there, it'll go to their central clearinghouse in Malaysia or Africa, wherever. And from there, it gets distributed. With blockchain, it can be immediate and instantaneous. Uh, and I want to uh, give you a quote to, uh, to describe what blockchain is. I came across a very good blog on IBM, and it, it said, IBM can best be, uh, uh, blockchain can best be described as a chain of events imprinted, imprinted in perpetuity. It is immutable. You cannot change any data which you put in there. And in fact, Ginny Rometty, the CEO of IBM, describes blockchain as the underlying technology that allows you to have trust and efficiency in the exchange of everything. Now, I, I, I know this is a little bit philosophical, but at the end of the day, companies are starting to implement blockchain in different ways. It's really uh, what I would call a bookkeeping system, but a digital bookkeeping system, a record-keeping system. And Many entities can participate in a blockchain and can record transactions. Each transaction is known as a block. So when you have that block and you add to it, it becomes a chain. And that's the blockchain which cannot be altered. Now, as I mentioned, finance sector. Today, blockchain technology is being used in many areas, including education, health, food distribution, supply chain, water, energy, as well as digital identification. I'll give you a little bit more uh, information on what types of uses they have, but if you visualize refugees, when they come into a different country, they often don't have identification. Uh, it, case in point, Syrian refugees coming into Europe. They've fled the country, they have no IDs. Blockchain can create an ID, a complete profile for them, including their educational background, their health records, uh, what skills they have. They can also uh, then be integrated into society. Currently, there are 600 million children born around the world who do not have an ID. Therefore, they cannot get admission into schools. They cannot get a driver's license. They cannot get a passport. They have no identity. 
it's not as if I, it, blockchain is the panacea for everything, but it offers an opportunity to put in place a system where you can create these digital identification systems. Uh, if you look at house purchase, when you want to buy and sell a house today, you have reams of paper to sign. Your lawyer says, just sign here, I've marked it. Tick, here, this, your stickers are there, just sign it, don't worry about it. I'll give you a quick five minute summary of what, what you're buying and what you're committing yourself to. You must have title insurance, you must have this, I must land registry records. Imagine that process. For example, title insurance is required to verify that that title belongs to you. If you do it once, it's immutable. You do not have to do it each time you buy and sell a house. That same house, uh, if it gets sold 10 times, it's 10 times title insurance companies charge you premium. And then the, you, you, you buy that, and, but they do the search as well. Lawyers do another search. Suddenly, that can be collapsed from a three-month time to a 15-day time. So in the future, when these records are put on blockchain, you create efficiency in the system. Land registry is the same thing. Uh, in many parts of the world, there is no record of who owns the land. Farmers don't know. They just have a plot of land. They say, I've been farming on this. My parents have done it, grandparents have done it. Somebody comes along illegally, legally, says, I have ownership of that land and you can't disprove it because the poor don't know how to access or understand the legal aspects of it. So we feel that there are things which blockchain can do. Uh, and just to give you an idea, uh, technology in the financial services sector, through the use of mobile phones, in the last three years, half a billion people have access to banking services, just by simply using that m smartphone. 500 mi million people have come online, and that's step one towards digital identification, bank account, and transfers, and so on. And talking about that, uh, we're working on a, uh, with a group uh, out of Atlanta, which has a technology called BitMinutes. So the poor often go to a local bodega to transfer funds to their family's home. Bit minutes, you, you buy, let's say, $100 worth of bit minutes, which is like cell phone minutes. My mother in Dar es Salaam also has an account. I press the button, she has that $100 worth of bit minutes. Then she goes and cashes it instantaneously. That is a true game changer. Now, it has to have wider implementation and wider appeal. I, just, just to give you some examples, if you think of fiscal policy, uh, fiscal policy can change where there is more transparency of currency transactions, management of fiscal debt, governments can become more efficient. Uh, 
it is estimated that by moving these transactions, if the government moves these transactions onto a blockchain system, they can actually save roughly 1% of GDP. 1% is huge, because we're talking about 2 3% of GDP really as relevant factors here. Uh, so it can, it has the opportunity for creating efficiencies. However, it, we have to remember, blockchain is like the internet of the 80s. It was the wild, wild west. Many companies came on board, very few survived, and just a few thrived. We think blockchain is bigger than that, actually. Because the internet, when it first came in, people said, I don't know what to do with the internet. Yeah, okay, fine, it's information. But today, you cannot live with the internet without the internet. Information is power. Blockchain converts that information into transactions and into action. And if I take you now to the UN, how is the UN dealing with it? So the UN is uh, what I call the master of bureaucracy. We wrote the book on it. <laughs> uh, and, however, new Secretary General, um, Antonio Gutierrez, he's not new anymore, he came into office in 2017. He said, I want to figure out how frontier technologies can be used to address the gaps in society. Now, frontier technologies includes artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, augmented reality, blockchain. If you, uh, the simplest thing which you, you often read about in the press, Amazon will deliver uh, you goods and services or goods through little hovercrafts, if you like, coming in. If you think of that, that's artificial intelligence in action. <coughs> when you do a search on the internet, Google will do predictive results. So if we are, we are well entrenched in that technology, you, you, know, you, you cannot say, I don't want to be followed. Europe has started a, a new program uh, on data protection but you can still be followed. If it's used for good, then it can do a lot of good in society. So at the UN, we are looking at ways of how to harness the power of that technology for social good. And Secretary General is uh, just about to launch a major innovation hub in his office. So he's on the 38th floor, one floor below. He's set up, and guess what, set up a group of young people to think through, saying, tell me what I can do on health. Tell me what I can do on education. Energy savings. There are 1.1 billion people today who do not have access to safe drinking water. Two billion people sleep at night without proper lighting. So after sundown, they cannot read, they cannot study, they cannot learn and so on. So can you imagine if we change that element of it, how it can make a difference? And, and by the way, talking about uh, technology and the UN, the late, great Kofi Annan, I remember when he came into office in 1997, and 
and I was privileged to work with him uh, when we set up the new peacekeeping department. He said to us, he says, <clears throat> I was dealing with uh, Ted Turner's philanthropy that time, and, and I said, uh, Mr. Secretary General, we need to figure out how we engage the private sector, because Ted's one billion should not be used as a charitable contribution, should be seen as an investment opportunity, so we bring in others to the table. He said, I want you to figure out how we can take a quantum leap on that. So we went to Silicon Valley, talked to a number of leaders, including Bill Gates and uh, Schmidt and, and others in the, in the early days. And we started programming our work by using the power of technology. And bless him, his vision stays on. He's, he was the father of the Millennium Development Goals, which today is now the Sustainable Development Goals. So I know we have uh, limited time, so I just want to close off by saying, at the UN, there are a number of what we call use cases being tested out. World Food Program, for example, is using digital identification, using blockchain to deliver food aid to refugees in Jordan, for example. Accenture, Microsoft are working together on that. And now what does that mean? World Food Program wants to give a bag of rice to a family. In the past, through pilferage, third parties and so on, that bag of rice became a cup of rice. Yeah. Today, Sitting in Rome, people in Rome can, will know if that person, that family, has received the bag of rice or not. Immediately, instantaneous. And, and really because uh, Accenture and Microsoft came together, Accenture providing these distribution expertise, uh, supply chain, and uh, Microsoft providing the technology. IBM has partnered with Maersk in the shipping lane and using blockchain to map the sh shipping channels, to map goods being delivered to uh, uh, and the docks and so on. Uh, it, it, and, and it goes on. There, even in fleet management, you can do that. Supply chain, by the way, besides the financial sector, supply chain has the highest possibility of success, including fresh food. You can, you can track food when it's picked from a farm in Iowa and delivered to Germany somewhere. When it was picked, when it was shipped, when it was delivered, when it was distributed, when the store got it, and when the individual got it. And it's very simple technology. Um, final point, Dr. John Edmonds, who's a expert in this area, said blockchain accounting could reduce the cost of micro-lending by 90%. Now that's huge. Uh, it, it, all of these ideas and transactions are in their early stages. I would imagine, and there are people who are very optimistic who say, well, in three years' time, everything will change. I personally, I'm a little bit more conservative on that. I, I would say in five to 10, maybe 15 years, we will see that shift uh, where blockchain can help humanity do, do well, do better, 
and address the imbalances in society. So I want to thank you for listening to me, and, and I apologize that it's a little bit boring. It's not traditional diplomacy. <laughs> I, 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 I'm afraid I can't spell diplomacy like, like from the UN perspective. <laughs> thank you, Amir. That was Mr. Amir Dassel at the Council of American Ambassadors Potpourri of Diplomacy Conference. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to CAA Live on iTunes or Google Play and leave us a review. Tweet us your thoughts on this episode and tag us at AMER Ambassadors with the hashtag CAA Live.